0: This is Sam Swartz and Rachel Fields with your local news coming to you live from the WORT studios in beautiful downtown Madison.
1: We're starting tonight's broadcast a little differently today. On Friday, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, putting the future of abortion access in America into a state of uncertainty and shock. Protesters turned out in Madison, decrying the loss of constitutional rights and a lack of protection for access here in the state. Today, WORT News presents a special story documenting what the decision means for Wisconsin and how pregnant people can find help under a statewide abortion ban.
2: Abortion access is in turmoil after the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last Friday, striking down nearly 50 years of federal constitutional protections for the right to choose. Now, it's up to the states to decide to protect a person's right to their own medical decisions. Thirteen states have trigger bans, which have been waiting to take effect if or when Roe was struck down. Eight other states ban the procedure on Friday. In Wisconsin, the legal status of abortion is uncertain. A 173-year-old law criminalizing providing an abortion is still on the books. An attempt by Democrats to codify abortion protections just two days before the Supreme Court decision went nowhere last week. As the news of the ruling was released, Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin had to immediately halt all abortions, telling patients in waiting rooms or over the phone that they could no longer go through with the procedure in the state. Prior to the ruling, Planned Parenthood had planned to halt abortion care by the following day, on Saturday, June 25th. Tanya Atkinson is the president of Planned Parenthood of Wisconsin. At a press conference on Friday, she said that the organization would not sit idly by, even if they could not provide abortions themselves.
3: Although abortion services are not available at PPWI for now, Planned Parenthood's doors are open across the state, and we are still here to help patients get the care that they need. This includes helping people who need an abortion access safe and legal abortion care. We can help people navigate. We encourage individuals who need an abortion to please contact Planned Parenthood Wisconsin. We can help people navigate to a state where abortion remains safe and legal, where their decision to make their own health care needs known is respected. Um, we can also provide travel assistance. uh, If somebody needs overnight housing, we can provide that um, and lost wages. So we can we can provide resources as well. Um, for individuals uh, who need an abortion,
2: but the impact of Wisconsin's abortion ban is in some legal limbo. The 1849 law states that any person apart from the mother could be subject to a Class H or Class E felony, subjecting providers to anywhere between a ten thousand to fifty thousand dollar fine and six to fifteen years in prison. There are provisions that make exceptions for pregnancies that would result in the death of a pregnant person, but those are extremely limited. Attorney General Josh Call says that the State Department of Justice will not use any resources to help enforce the ban. Dane County District Attorney Ishmael Ozane also says that he will not pursue any charges against abortion providers. Both the Dane County Sheriff's Office and Madison Police Department also say that they will never arrest someone for whatever medical service they are seeking when they visit a clinic. In a press release, Dane County Sheriff Calvin Barrett stated that they have neither the resources nor the expertise to investigate medical professionals. But despite its age and how local officials choose to treat the ban, the ban is still on the books in Wisconsin. Eric Toney, Fond du Lac County District Attorney and Attorney General candidate, promised to enforce the abortion ban, stating that it is his duty to enforce the law. Tony also called the decision a win for life and the rule of law. On Friday, protesters gathered on the steps of the state capitol. The protest was organized by the Madison Socialist Feminist Collective and was attended by hundreds of protesters. The speeches were kicked off by Avalon with the Madison Socialist Feminist Collective.
3: I don't know if I've ever felt such an overwhelming and volatile, full-body emotion the way I felt today when I found out that Roe had been overturned by the Supreme Court. And I knew it was coming, and I know a lot of you out there knew it was coming too, but there's some ways that you just cannot prepare for this moment because it is so horrifying because we know that people will die because of this decision and that those people will be the most marginalized among us. Access to abortion is life-saving. It's a life-saving, common, normal, safe medical procedure. Any person should be able to have an abortion at any time
4: for any reason.
2: Then came Dr. Crystal Ellis with Freedom, Inc.
4: This is state violence. Today has shown us that the state has not stopped its violent disregard for our bodily autonomy. Survivors, black and Southeast Asian women, trans and queer folks have historically been the targets of this violence. Today, we stand with the millions of people suffering through this decision and what it could mean for us, our families, our and our friends.
2: Next is Ananda Deacon with Freedom Action Now.
4: The sun is not the only thing making me hot right now, y'all. I have lost black women in my family because they had no choice but to perform an abortion on themselves. I've seen too many black women, youth, and trans people be forced to carry to term and die in the process. Our elected officials had an opportunity to protect us, and instead they spit in our faces. Shame! Shame! This past Wednesday alone, the legislature had a chance to repeal a 200-year-old abortion ban, and they didn't! Wisconsin has an active abortion ban from the 1800s right now, and people can't get proper health care, and that's on them! That's- no. These politicians do not care about us! No. Rebecca Cleefish, a Wisconsin candidate for governor, said that she agreed that women who are raped should turn lemons into lemonade. Shame!
2: Shame! Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer of Wisconsin and current candidate for the U.S. Senate, spoke on the overturning of Roe.
5: Yeah, so like thousands of Wisconsinites, I am frustrated that and just angry that today I woke up with fewer rights than I had yesterday. And I do not believe that women should be sent back to 1849 because that's now the wrong place. I think if there's one thing clear that we have to send at this rally today is that women are not going backwards and we're not allowing politicians like Ron Johnson or Robin Voss making our health care decisions. And unfortunately, that's what's happening right now. I think, look, is that while today's ruling was absolutely horrifying, that we just cannot give up, and how we know we can change this is by electing, I believe, pro choice Democrats.
6: Wisconsin lawmakers immediately responded to Friday's ruling. Governor Tony Evers called the quote disastrous and unconscionable, end quote. Speaking at a rally at the Democratic State Convention in La Crosse on Saturday, Evers said he would offer clemency to doctors who are prosecuted for performing abortions in Wisconsin.
3: There's a personal issue here. I have seven grandkids that are girls and young women.
7: Yesterday, they were made second-class citizens. Yes. That's <laughs> Yes!
6: Republican candidates for governor also weighed in on the issue, front-rummer Rebecca Kleefisch called the ruling a victory. Dane County Executive Joe Parisi shared his concern with Friday's ruling, noting that conservative Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in his concurring opinion that the court reconsidered ruling protection contraception, same-sex relationships, and same-sex marriage. He called the opinion a politically motivated attack to strip people of their constitutional rights. Finally, Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway voiced her own anger at the ruling. She went one step further than Parisi, calling the move an effort to turn back the clock, disregarding anyone who is harmed in the process. A
3: month ago, my cousin felt sick at work, felt dizzy. She went to the hospital because she had an ectopic pregnancy. And when you have an ectopic pregnancy, it's they have to abort that or else you will die. There's a very real, real risk of death. And that's a situation that anybody could be in regardless of how they feel about abortion. That's a reality of how serious this issue is and how important it is that we have doctors and that we have lawyers and that we have people of all backgrounds, people of all genders and from all parts of this world rallying behind this record of abortion justice for reproductive justice. I'm so excited for us to rally behind this, because we will not back down! Abortion is non-negotiable!
6: That was Avalon with the Madison Socialist Feminist Collective. WORT reporter Helena White attended the rally to defend abortion rights at the state capitol last Friday. She spoke to Riot, age 13, who attended the rally out of concern that the Supreme Court ruling could not only end abortion, but curtail other current rights
8: as well.
5: Well, I'm trying to, you know, help be a part of the process to curtail, you know, reinstate Roe v. Wade and, you know, women's and people with uteruses' rights here because it's important and it's going to lead to more rights being taken away if it doesn't get reinstated. It's very important in general without other things getting
4: worked
5: as a Obviously. Well, one of the main things that a lot of people are worried about that would be things like trans rights and even the right for gay people married. Things like that. still very slow. Um I mean it's not good and it's kind really, really bad for people. anyone who's getting you know pregnant people.
6: Ash, who was 15th, attended the rally before and explained why they were there.
8: To fight for everybody's right for
5: choice and to keep other things from getting taken away as well.
8: Trans rights, marriage, comfortable, and stuff like that, which is a medical necessity.
6: Just go <laughs> to protest and fight for your rights. Riot and Ash were holding a sign that read, you can only stop safe abortion. Vivian Chappell came to the rally with a three-year-old daughter. She has her eye on the conservative-led Wisconsin Supreme Court. Next year, voters will have a chance to elect a new justice in April 2023 after Justice Rugginsack retired. We are here today to demonstrate
5: our support for a woman's right to choose. Um to raise awareness about an important Wisconsin Supreme Court election coming up on April 4th, 2023. It's possible that Um, The Supreme Court here in Wisconsin could be making a decision about whether abortion will be kept legal in the state of Wisconsin in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, and so I want to just raise awareness and help folks um, get prepared to to go vote for retiree so we'll have an opportunity to fill that seat with somebody who's poor choice. Yeah, so I brought my three-year-old daughter, and I thought this would be a good opportunity for her to um, get an introduction to peaceful protests.
6: Vivian needed a moment to regain her composure.
5: So, I'm a mother of two, and... Um, know how complicated pregnancies can be and there can be situations where a woman or person um, really wants to have the child but because of complications um, needs to terminate the pregnancy and um, thinking about that um, and if I were to have to make that choice I would want to be able to make Rather than bringing up a pregnancy to term that I know won't be a, a viable child. Um, um, and there are a hundred other reasons, and it doesn't matter what the reason is. Um, it should be a person's choice when it comes to what happens to their body go vote in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election on April 4th, 2023. Let's get ready.
6: Morgan is 21 and a student who attended the rally with her friend. She was holding a sign that read, Forced Birth is Cruel and Unusual Punishment.
9: We're students, or she was a student. I'm currently a student. Um, We are here because the Supreme Court just overturned Roe v. Wade.
6: Morgan needed a moment to regain. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I mean,
4: I
5: mean,
9: I'm really protests. we protesting. But we've been protesting so much. Like we have. I have this time already. You know, we don't have to do it anymore. Um, I'm just tired of this, and I don't know what else we can do at this point. I just think, you know, it's very. It's just really sickening, honestly. Yeah. Um. I guess the more people who show up, the more it shows that this is the wrong decision that they made. Well, luckily my family lives in Colorado, Colorado is a sanctuary state now. So, I actually spoke with my mom, she had an abortion in 1972, or 1973, like, after, right after it was... Um, after the court case, and um, she just never, she always took it for granted that it was something that would always be around, and now it's, that's not the case anymore. She's only sixty eight, so um, it didn't even last her entire life, so it's kind of crazy. So we keep talking about it, if we stop talking about it, then they win.
6: There are several resources available for women seeking abortions in Wisconsin. The Women's Medical Fund was started in 1972 and works to ensure access to abortions for all women in the state. They can provide financial assistance to those seeking abortions and can provide resources for those seeking safe, self-managed abortions.
2: POWERS is a group of volunteer doctors, midwives, doulas, educators, and activists working to support pregnant people. POWERS can help provide pregnant people with any information they may need to find an abortion. They can be reached by calling 608-514-1817. That number again, is 608-514-1817. They can also be reached at PregnancyOptionsWI.org.
6: Plan C Pills is an order-by-mail self-abortion pill provider. The organization is able to provide abortion pills as well as provide patients with a telehealth doctor to discuss their options. Abortion is still banned in Wisconsin, however, the organization can help walk you through the steps needed to receive help. They can be found at plancpills.org.
2: The Repro Legal Helpline provides callers with a secure, confidential, and free resource about self-managed abortions and the law. They can be reached at 844-868-2812 or online at reprolegalhelpline.org.
6: The Repro Legal Defense Fund provides financial assistance to people criminalized for self-managed abortion and pregnancy loss and those who help them. They can be reached at reprolegaldefensefund.org.
2: If you need support to self-manage your miscarriage or abortion, call the Miscarriage and Abortion Hotline at 1-833-246-2632. They also offer information on finding and using abortion pills online at mahotline.org. That number again is 1-833-246-2632.
6: While abortions may be banned here in Wisconsin, they are not banned in Illinois. Planned Parenthood Illinois is open to give abortions to Wisconsin residents, and their closest abortion-providing clinic is in Waukegan, Illinois, about a two-hour drive from Madison. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Madeline Plattenberg.
2: And I'm Nate Woogie Jonah Chester and Helena White provided additional audio for this story.
0: You're listening to the 6 p.m. Local News. I'm your host, Sam Swartz, here with my co-host, Rachel Fields. Here are today's other top headlines that you may have missed.
1: State Democrats held their annual convention this weekend in La Crosse, where they railed against Friday's Supreme Court ruling advocated for stronger gun control, and condemned Senator Ron Johnson. Wiss Politics reports that despite the crowded Democratic primary to replace Ron Johnson in the U.S. Senate, candidates instead focused all of their ire onto Ron Johnson and not onto each other. But at the end of the convention, current Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes won the endorsement of the Democratic Party, receiving around 32% of the votes. State Treasurer Sarah Godlewski won over 31% of the votes for endorsement. Alice Lazary and Tom Nelson won around 15% and 9%, respectively.
0: An organizer of abortion rights protest was arrested on Sunday, reports the Journal Times newspaper in Racine. The organizer was arrested for allegedly failing to get a street permit and was bailed out of jail within hours. But he told the Journal Times that the arrest was, quote, bogus and wrong. The protest was organized by the group We the Changemakers and was the first in Racine protesting the Supreme Court's decision.
1: The Dane County Jail announced last week that they are once again allowing in-person visits for jail residents. In-person visits were originally postponed due to the COVID pandemic back in March of 2020, with the jail offering remote video visits instead. Those virtual visits will remain an option going forward. In-person visits for all jail residents can begin today and can be scheduled on the Dane County Jail's website.
0: The City of Madison has received federal funding to help construct the new bus rapid transit line which will run from north to south through Madison. The grant funding comes from the Federal Transit Administration as part of the administration's Areas of Persistent Poverty program. That program aims to address transportation challenges faced by areas of persistent poverty. Madison's bus rapid transit is aiming to provide faster, more frequent service to those on the city's north and south sides. The federal grant awarded the city $670,000 and the total cost of the project is estimated at $950,000. Bus Rapid Transit is scheduled to fully open in 2024.
1: After calls to increase teachers base wage increase by the Teachers Union, the Madison Metro School District announced that they will offer a 3% wage increase for all MMSD staff. The Capital Times reports that the increase is 1% more than the district originally offered, but still below the 4.7% asked for by Madison Teachers Inc., the union representing Madison Teachers. But that wage increase is not the only thing coming for MMSD staff members, as the board has now proposed a $1,000 bonus for all staff who were actively employed during the spring semester.
0: You're listening to Handcrafted Local News right here on WORT. Stay with us. We've got a lot more stories for you coming up in the second half of our show. Forward Lookout breaks down this week in city and county meetings. Bridging the Gap explores the evolution of music marketing. And we review two lighthearted movies.
1: But now we'll take a quick break and then we'll check in on some world headlines. Back in a flash. The time is now 6.33, and you're listening to the local news on WORT. I'm your host, Rachel Fields, here with my co-host, Sam Swartz. Thanks for joining us.
0: What the County Zoo Commission isn't talking about, and the Madison Common Council Executive Committee plays catch-up, that and more on this week's Forward Lookout. Shortly before airtime today, Brenda Conkle spoke with producer Dylan Brogan to break down the important meetings happening this week in local government.
10: That's right. It's Monday and we're speaking with Brenda Cockle from ForwardLookout.com about what's happening in local government, of course. And we'll start as usual at Dane County. It's um, one of those fifth weeks of a month Uh, that doesn't happen too often. So a little limited on meetings, but I'm sure we'll find plenty to talk about, including tomorrow at 730, uh, the Henry Vilas Zoo Commission the once uh, sleepy commission that seems to be attracting, should be attracting more attention nowadays, but um, they always have a boring agenda, don't they?
11: They do. Um, yeah, we, they never talked about all the the um, no. controversy that happened before. Never. They're not talking about nope. the, the um, employee complaints there. They're not talking about anything. The thing that they are going to be talking about is Design development of phase two for the African savanna phase. Mm. Well, that's um, important. I mean, that's something that's happening.
10: But there is there isn't an <laughs> independent investigation that Dane County board into yeah. kind of the, the zoo's employee climate. So that's happening, too. And I yeah. guess they just won't talk about it with the commission. But maybe that's not their role.
11: And sometimes, I, you know, their agendas are very weird. Sometimes yeah. it just says "zoo report, and that's all that's on there. So yeah. maybe they're talking about it, but since the meeting's at 730 in the morning, I don't know of anybody who's ever attended.
10: And 4 p.m., the Tree Board, its outreach work group, uh, will be having a virtual meeting Tuesday. People like trees, um, and the Tree Board talks about trees. <laughs>
11: Yep, and since this is the outreach subcommittee, yeah. the topics are not surprising. They're talking about public service announcements. They're talking about what kind of a budget they have for advertising, uh, what they're going to be doing with their website, um, and making recommendations about that. So kind of what you would expect for an outreach work group.
10: And at 630, we have the Zoning and Land Regulations Committee, and they have um, a lot of uh, properties that they will be doing some, looks like routine zoning and regulation work on, right?
11: Yeah, they have like 10 pages yeah, of stuff. So I, I, I was a little bit um, lazy, I think, when I was doing it. And so I only picked out a few. There's one where they're going to be creating two parkland lots. So, so that's interesting. That's something we don't usually see. That's out on Woods Road in the town of Verona. Um, they'll also be making it so that Bradford Prairie Needs Network can be used, the property that they're on. They have to change the zoning for that. Um, there's some transfer of development rights, which is one of a, a newer program at the county that's been working well. I think there is a transient and tourist lodging opportunity on Applewood drive in Middleton. And then they will be talking about uh, stone crushing um, and mineral extraction in the town of Verona, as well as a daycare center in Blooming Grove and another um transit and tourist lodging that that's probably code for bed and breakfast and or um uh airbnb so and that's out in the mm. town of vermont
10: and with that we'll move on to the city of madison and we'll start with a meeting that's already in progress and that is the finance committee starting at 4 30. uh so maybe wrapping up about now but what did the finance committee discuss
11: so they had a whole bunch of personnel issues including um some changes over at madison metro that might be of interest to some folks it's a little bit of reorganizing at the top management levels um there are also again lots of routine items but i would say some things people might be interested in is there is some water utility items and it's mostly related to funding so people might be interested in that um and then there's also um they're going to be talking about their meeting format um there's a few other routine items people might be interested in but it's um kind of a, a dull day in city government
10: <laughs> well let's go with the with the sustainable madison committee which also is meeting right now they're discussing my favorite uh recent proposal <laughs> the outdoor lighting which is I mean, basically uh to follow the principles i guess bec- best practices to reduce the amount of light pollution So yes
11: and we're going to be if we if we pass this we will be the world's largest the planet's largest uh, dark sky area so it is something that is it, it is um yeah interesting that the that the city has chosen to to go with this and i and i think it is something that is attainable for the city so that's good just um, as long as the just, moon's not out right exactly let's start All going right, keep going keep going Brenda, i didn't mean to
10: derail <laughs> you there
11: Okay, so then um, they're they are uh, looking at their buildings policy update as well as um, an update on their sustainability plan. Um, they have a very intense plan that they are strictly following to see once make sure that they're actually accomplishing it.
10: And then Landmarks Commission will be taking a look at two properties or a couple of properties over, um, looks like in the Marquette neighborhood, right?
11: Yep. 400 block of South Baldwin and uh, the 1300 block of Williamson Street. So they're looking at demolishing three commercial structures um, and building a one and two story structure at that intersection there.
10: So these aren't necessarily historic properties, but they're in a historic district, right?
11: Correct. That is correct. Okay.
10: All right. Um, should we talk about the Equal Opportunities Commission, their executive committee, which is, met virtually at 5 p.m.?
11: Yep. They are um, doing a little bit of follow-up on some of the things that they've been working on, BRT, Metro Redesign, and Truth and Reconciliation work group. So we'll be getting updates about that. Um, there is... Uh, they have something on their agenda called the Wisconsin State Journal Editorial Board and Reporting Bias slash Discrimination Discussion. Yeah, what is going on um, there? I, 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 I can out-imagine, but I don't know for sure the details. So um, this is one of those agendas where there's nothing attached, so you're not going to be able to see anything other than the words that they, they put there. Um, they also are looking at um, their retreat, the Reverend Wright um, Award. They are looking for nominations for that if people know somebody that should be nominated that might be something of interest and then they always have on their agenda to look at housing issues and then the main purpose for their executive committee meeting is to create the agenda for their upcoming meeting on july 14th
10: and then uh the water utility board meets at 4 30 virtually on tuesday
11: yeah they're going to be getting a presentation on pfas health advisory limits um so that's interesting i think for so long the water utility has is, is had basically nothing to see here um, but they are getting a presentation. So maybe uh, people are learning more about that and, and feeling like there's some things that need to be done. Um, and then they are again, looking at some of their, their budget issues and having quite a few reports from staff.
10: Well, let's move now to the the city council or the common council isn't meeting this week, but the executive committee of the common council is, and that's at five thirty 30 on uh, Tuesday.
11: Yeah. So that's unusual. Usually they meet yeah. Tuesday, right before the council meeting. I think, they had a lot of things pile up on their agenda and are trying to sort of get through some of the things. They spent at least two or three meetings uh, replacing various elders who had left the council. Um, And I think that left their work sort of piling up for them. So they have several ordinances that they'll be looking at. um, And then they're going to be looking at um, how many hours the elders are working, a council budget, um, and getting an update from the the council office. They're also going to be looking at what does a hybrid meeting mean? Um the ordinances that they'll be looking at are uh, about subunit meetings so if there's subcommittees or committees um they're they're asking them to do a self-evaluation of how how they're doing to determine probably if they're going to continue to keep all the committees or not.
10: Yeah, well, interesting yeah. that. And I they're asking alders how much uh they work, right? Yes. Yeah, it'd I be can't wait to see time. those results I, because, like we all know, I, I it varies a lot.
11: <laughs> a lot. I mean, there there. I think there are some people who would just show up to their meetings and work, you know, three, four, five hours a week, and there's other people who are working easily sixty hours a week. So it's it it is a wide variety, and everybody gets paid the sixty same,
10: hours so. a week.
11: Oh yes, definitely. Oh, there man. are some folks who do that. Wow. I mean, some of them just to go to all their meetings. You know, depending on how long the meetings last, it, it is. Yeah. It can be quite the workload. Um, and then if you care about any issues or if you have neighborhood meetings or other things that you're working on, um, if you are retired, you could easily spend 60 hours a week.
10: We appreciate you taking the time to tell us about what's going on in city government this week. Uh, Brenda forwardlookout.com. You can check out meetings and agenda items there. So thank you,
1: Brenda. You're welcome. Today marks the 29-year anniversary of the day 760 workers were locked out of the A.E. Staley plant in Decatur, Illinois. They joined striking workers at Caterpillar, Inc. and Bridgestone. One-fourth of the city's blue-collar workers were out. They called it the War Zone. Feature contributor Harry Richardson has the story on this edition of The Past Isn't Past.
0: Joe Hill and Cesar Chavez Who fought in their own time For our brothers and our sisters Up and down that picket line For the unnamed and unnumbered Who struggle brave and long For the union men and women
7: Standing up and standing today. Long. June 27th marks the day in 1993 when A.E. Staley locked out 760 union workers in Decatur, Illinois. In those years, Decatur was called the war zone because workers at Caterpillar, Inc. and Bridgestone, Firestone, were also on strike there. At one point in 1994, one in four blue-collar workers in the city were on strike or locked out. Solidarity poured in from all over the country and abroad. Although the struggles were lost, they exacted high costs on the employer. And pointed the way for a militant fight back against corporations and unions' own international leadership that has lessons for today. In 1988, A. Staley, a producer of corn-based sweeteners, was acquired by the British conglomerate Tate & Lyle that quickly hired a union-busting legal firm and a new HR director, best known for recently installing permanent replacement workers for 1,200 striking paper workers in Maine. The company's attitude toward safety changed leading to at least one worker's death. After an OSHA investigation in 1991, Staley was fined over $1.5 million for 298 health and safety violations. When the company began writing manuals detailing each job, workers figured Staley wanted to provoke a strike and replace them with strike breakers. The local union prepared for a fight voting almost unanimously to increase monthly dues from 18 to $100. In 1992, Staley made their best and final offer, filled with concessions, including gutting seniority and the grievance process and instituting 12-hour shifts, rotating every 30 days. The union voted it down by 97%. Because of the scab threat, Workers didn't strike, but instead adopted a strategy including work to rule, a corporate campaign, community solidarity, and civil disobedience. For the corporate campaign, the union organized a successful boycott of a bank. Miller Beer, a major customer, was targeted with another union boycott and quickly canceled its daily contract. The work to rule campaign was meticulously organized, cutting production by one-third to one-half. On June 16th, Staley workers led an almost total walkout over safety issues. On June 27th, Staley locked the workers out. Workers at Staley, striking Caterpillar and Bridgestone Firestone workers, formed the Campaign for Justice. When Decatur's city manager proposed an ordinance to restrict the right to rally, workers filled the civic center where the city council met and the ordinance failed. Decatur unions put out over one million in direct mail appeals and raised two million dollars. Many traveled the country as road warriors, raising money and spreading the word. The National Network of Solidarity Committees was formed. One year after the lockout on June 25, 1994, workers blocked the entrance to the Staley plant. The police pepper sprayed nonviolent demonstrators. Five months later, there was another demonstration with 7,000. The militants daily workers failed to get help from their national union or the AFL-CIO Executive Council, Staley workers were offered a worse contract than before, but only voted it down by 57%. On October 1, 1995, Dan Lane, a 19-year employee at Staley, went on a fast, calling for mass picketing and a general strike, when he received a pledge of support from the newly elected AFL-CIO President John Sweeney. After 65 days, Lane ended his fast but no support ever came. Lane never heard from Sweeney again. On December 22, 1995, after two and a half years of struggle, the Staley workers ratified the contract offer by 56 percent. Little had changed from the final and best offer from three years before, except for a sweetener added for retirees like the new president. The vote had been forced by The International, the local union's parent organization. In the end, only one-fourth of the locked-out workers returned to work. More than 550 decided either to retire, take severance, or look for work elsewhere. We lost this battle, said Dan Lane, but the war against American workers continues. The rest of corporate America was watching Decatur closely. Make no mistake, there'll be no peace for American workers. The question is, when are we going to unite, turn the FLCIO around, meet fire with fire, and fight until we win. And that is our question and our story for today. For The Past is the Past, I'm Harry Richardson.
0: listening to the live local news right here on wort
1: more people are finding new music on TikTok and not everyone is thrilled with this change. This week on Bridging the Gap, feature contributor Teresa Yen talks about the evolution of music marketing. How do you
8: find new music? For many people, it used to be tuning into the radio and hearing the latest tunes from their favorite stations. Artists would send in their records to multiple radio stations and hope that they would get played on air. Now, people find new music through TikTok. Because of TikTok's popularity and its connection to the content creation world, music artists are now promoting their music on TikTok in hopes that it would go viral. Whether it's having someone make up a dance that others would cover, or that parts of their songs would be used for a trend of sorts. However, not all artists are thrilled to promote their music on this platform. Last month, singer-songwriter Halsey posted a video on TikTok exposing her label, saying that she wasn't allowed to release new music unless one of her TikToks went viral. This week, we'll be talking about how much the music industry has changed its way of marketing music. This is Bridging the Gap, a weekly feature dedicated to exploring the connection and differences between generations. Music artists used to rely heavily on their record labels. If an artist signs with a big music label, that usually means they'll have better resources to help promote their music. Labels had the money and resources to help provide an entire marketing team to sell your music, ranging from the budget for an eye-catching album cover to access to record store distributions. Moreover, Larger labels will usually have connections with big radio stations, making it easier for music stations to get music from their artists and elevating the chances of their music being played on air. Being signed to a label that wants to make your music was every aspiring musician's dream. While it doesn't guarantee immediate success, it certainly meant you are way more likely to break into the industry. However, This came with its own problems. Record labels have a clause in their contracts that gives them claim to the artist's masters, meaning that any music made by the artist belongs to the label and not the artist. Moreover, because labels have so much control over whether an artist's music gets to be pushed out, they were able to leverage that over the artist if an artist tries to fight back. Famously, Prince was known for speaking out against record labels for owning the masters of their artists. Prince even went so far as to release music under a different name in order to own the rights to his own masters. In the early 2000s, the internet introduced online streaming and made it easier to access music. If you had access to the internet, you could easily upload or download music. Websites such as YouTube or SoundCloud gave anyone with an account access to upload their own work onto the internet and push it out for anyone to find it. Social media expanded the marketing field even further and became an additional platform for musicians to promote and distribute their music. The world of internet changed how music was being marketed, and new artists discovered that perhaps there wasn't a dire need to sign to a big label. With new technology, everyone can release music and market things themselves. It became a lot easier for independent artists to distribute their music and find their own way of promoting their music without a record label. Even though big labels still have more resources, it was beginning to lose some of their appeals as independent artists see that they can do the same things labels do without the binding contract that caused them to lose their masters. Then came TikTok. Many songs on TikTok can go viral for different reasons. First, someone can make a dance to a song that everyone decides to cover. Second, a part of the song can get clipped out to make a funny short video. Because so many songs can now gain popularity through TikTok, many artists have started to turn their music promotions to the app. Dan Waitley from Business Insider wrote an article about the merge of music labels and TikTok. He points out that research has shown that songs that trend on TikTok often end up charting on the Billboard 100 and that users were more likely to look up the song after hearing it on the app. Some artists now even produce songs for TikTok in hopes that it can become a trend. The app is also great for independent artists to promote their music and has given rise to many indie artists. However, not everyone is pleased with this new way of music promotion. Singer Halsey posted a video on TikTok exposing her label, saying that she wasn't allowed to release new music until she had made a viral TikTok. Many other big artists echoed Halsey's frustration and called out their labels for being too focused on the app. Kelsey Weekman from BuzzFeed writes in an article reporting on this video that this phenomenon is not new. Artists have always been under the control of their labels in terms of when they can release music and how labels decide to use their marketing resources for the artist. Weekman writes, quote, though artists complaining about having to post TikToks to promote their music may not be an earth-shattering revelation about the industry, it is eye-opening to the new hurdles artists face as media evolves. There's no evidence that a record label would cancel the release of a song because the artist failed to go viral, but the pressure is still there, end quote. The evolution of music marketing has evolved quite a lot in the past 30 years, while the rise of the internet has balanced out the playing field by a little for indie artists. It seems the large record labels still hold the majority of power when it comes to music promotions. For Bridging the Gap and WORT News, I'm Teresa Yan.
0: Need a little escape from bad news right about now? On today's Monday movie review, feature contributor Harry Richardson reviews two light-hearted movies: the now streaming 2007 film *Mr. Bean's Holiday* and the fun *Toy Story* prequel *Lightyear* on the big screen.
7: No, the for so. Mr. Bean's Holiday, directed by Stephen Mandelak. I must admit, I really enjoy the character of Mr. Bean, played by Rowan Atkinson. I first saw Atkinson in a couple of Johnny English spy spoof comedies, and really enjoyed those as well. If you're a fan of broad physical comedy and pratfalls, you'll likely enjoy this latest in a series of Mr. Bean British comedies. Think of it as feeding your inner 12-year-old. My opinion is not widely shared, though. Rotten Tomatoes' critics gave it 51%, while the audience rated it 49%. His other films have gotten similar ratings, including Johnny English series. The early 90s TV show is highly rated, 100% critics and 92% by the audience, though. The first season is available on Hulu. Bean, for the uninitiated, is a hapless everyman. Even when it looks like everything is looking up, some disaster is just around the corner. Our story starts with the self-absorbed Mr. Bean at a church raffle. Surprisingly, he wins an all-expenses-paid trip to the south of France, the beach, and is beside himself with joy. But since this is Mr. Bean, you know things will soon go wrong. He manages to get to Paris from London without incident, but once in Paris, his troubles begin. He somehow gets the wrong cab, Another man gets his and he is soon on the other side of Paris from his train station. He decides to walk straight to the train station using a compass as a guide, walking over a park bench and other obstructions, not going around any of them. He somehow gets to the train station and imposes on a reluctant Frenchman to take a video of him getting on the train. This amusingly takes several attempts, leaving the Frenchman outside of the train as it takes off. He runs after it in a panic. His young son, Stefan, a fun Max Baldry, is suddenly on the train alone. Bean reluctantly becomes enmeshed in trying to get Stefan reunited with his dad. This is where our story really takes off with an amusing series of misadventures. Along the way, Bean blunders into a movie set and comes into contact with a remarkably narcissistic director, well played by Willem Dafoe. Who seems to be having a great time, and a charming actor, Sabine Emma Daguna, on their way to Cannes. All in all, a fun comedy that came out in 2007 but just started showing on Netflix. Now for a new highly rated animated movie out on the big screen Buzz Lightyear Mission Log. My mistake has marooned us on this strange planet.
2: I need to make it
7: right. That was a clip from the trailer for Lightyear. Co-written and directed by Angus McLean. His co-writer is Jason Headley. McLean also directed Toy Story of Terror and the enjoyable Finding Dory. Headley did the screenplay for the fun middling Pixar Onward. Lightyear is kind of a prequel. As the movie title card explains, in 1995 a boy named Andy got a toy from his favorite movie. This is that movie. The 1995 movie is the original Toy Story. The series is about the life of a kid's toy over the years. I must admit this is a series I haven't seen yet. Anyway, this time, Space Ranger Buzz Lightyear is a real action hero, not just a toy who thinks he's one. He's voiced by Chris Evans, who's better known for playing Captain America, but does a fine job here. Another central character with a heart is Uza andu as Alicia Hawthorne, his commanding officer and best friend. They are on a mission of exploration when they land a promising planet that turns deadly. The ranger's landing party manages to free their ship, but pilot Buzz messes up the takeoff and the whole crew is stuck on the inhospitable planet. Buzz stays on mission as the scientists try to create the proper propellant to resume their journey. He becomes the test pilot, but there's a catch. While he goes into space on failed test after failed test, he travels near light speed and years pass by below as he spends just minutes in space. A pretty thoughtful examination of the importance of friends and family and admitting when you need help. A number of life lessons for the kids and us. There's also a diverse crew. Buzz learns this lesson from a crew of misfits headed by a fun Kiki Palmer as Alicia's granddaughter Izzy, the bumbling Mo Morrison, a good Takawatiti, and a crusty explosives expert and ex-con Darby Steele, a winning Dale Solace. A fun summer movie for the whole family, a pretty good addition to the Pixar lineup. For WRT's Monday Movie Review, I'm Harry Richardson.
1: And that does it for our show. Thanks for listening to WORT's live local news at 6. Your reporter was Madeline Plattenberg with Cam I put on special assignment. Special thanks to our feature contributors Harry Richardson, Teresa Yen, Brenda Conkle, and Dylan Brogan. Nate Weggiehout produced this newscast, and Sholly Pittman is the news director at WORT and engineered tonight's broadcast. I'm your host, Rachel Fields.
0: And I'm your host, Sam Swartz. Stay up to date with the WORT local news podcast. Subscribe on itunes podcasts spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts up next is the most free form show on your radio dial the access hour have a good night
1: you're listening to wort 89.9 fm madison